0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happiness Journey podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a bilingual cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling using the EFT method, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life, business, and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one sessions in both French or English, and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our website can be found at lifecoach.com. Today, I'm very excited to have for our eighth episode of season 10, a very special guest and experienced dissociative disorder expert, Lynn Barrett. And just like every of my past episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Lynn, the floor is yours.
1: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Dan. I'm really happy to be here. And uh, uh, that's a kind of a, um, uh, a, 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 an amorphous introduction in that I'm an, a dissociative identity disorder expert. Um, as I was explaining earlier before the podcast, I am not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a researcher. Uh, I'm actually a uh, retired teacher, school principal and church pastor. Uh, But I also have the, um, uh, the, the distinguishment of having been diagnosed with multiple personality disorder in 1992. That disorder was renamed in 1994, I believe, uh, as dissociative identity disorder. So I have lived experience, and in that sense, I am an expert. And I've also done quite a bit of work um, uh, researching and learning about this uh, brilliant coping strategy that I live with. And um, uh, so I uh, I come here today. Uh, with uh, a wealth of knowledge that I can share with you and your listeners. So thank you so much for inviting me.
0: I mean, thank you so much for being here today and be able to share this, uh, what you've gone through all your life with this diagnosis. And yes, it was in 1994 that the American Psychological Association reconned mm-hmm. it as um, this DID, which is dissociative identity disorder. And I, I'm not sure if you've actually watched the movie. Um, it's called Identity with John Cusack where he was an individual and he had seven or nine different, uh, identities and he was able to eliminate them at the end to have only one dominant. It's a very good movie. You should actually watch it. I love, love anything that has to do with psychological movies. I'm really, uh, you know, into it. So tell me when you said in 1992, you were diagnosed, did you have any, um, like how many identities did you deal with?
1: So, um, it, it um, More than 20, more than 20. Um, But they didn't all come out all at one time in 1992 or in the years leading up to it. It took uh, uh, many years for uh, uh, different parts of me to come forward and to begin to tell their stories. Uh, At the time that I was diagnosed, um, I probably had... Gee, nobody's ever asked me that question before, but uh, I would probably say at least a half a dozen had come forward um, and uh, I had begun to experience them and to learn uh, more about their stories.
0: Interesting. Now, I've, what I've read, what I've been dealing with in my own practice, Lynn, um, identities um, disorders actually are coming up at a certain age based on specific child traumatic uh, issues, where mm-hmm. at a certain age, when there's something happening in your life, an identity will pop up to be able to protect the dominant one. And then it goes on for the next identity that pops up and another very traumatic event in your life. So those identities, do they have a specific age? So for example, if let's say one pops up at five years old, that identity will always have the mentality of a five-year-old. The same thing with a 10 or 12 or 15, whenever all the new identities pops up, it will be at that specific age. Is that what happened to you?
1: Well, I, I, I think I would um, modify that a little bit. Uh, so first of all, we would say that um, uh, dissociative identity disorder uh, is a coping strategy that small children use when they're experiencing chronic abuse. Okay. That means not just one incident or two incidents, but a whole series of incidents that seem to go on in a child's mind forever. Often uh, these, uh, th- th- this, these traumatic incidents um, are perpetrated by people the child knows. Um, often it's the parents, or it may not be the parents, but it may be other caregivers or other family members. And often, o- almost always, the child um, doesn't have a safe way to... Um, Uh, to process what happened to them so that if they go to a parent and say so and so, you know, uncle did this to me, the parent will not uh, acknowledge that and will tell the child to be quiet, so the child really can't escape in any way um, and, and uh, because there's no one to protect them. And often the people who are doing it are the people who are supposed to protect them. So then what happens is the child creates um, a part in their brain, a part of their brain sort of uh, separates off and holds either the memory of the abuse or the emotion of the abuse or even some skill or, or talent that helps them uh, survive in life. So then they can uh, uh, go back out and be with these people and not remember anything because the memory, the traumatic memory, is lodged in another part of their brain. And yes, uh, so I do want to emphasize that if, if, if um, say, a, a 12-year-old experiences chronic trauma, they will get complex PTSD, but they will not get DID because at that point their brains are um, uh, fully developed. So the reason why the small child can do this is because their brains are not fully developed. So um, the the, the abuse has to have happened in in childhood. and let's see, what else uh, did you ask me? Oh, the ages uh, of, of, of the, the parts. So, uh, yeah, we have our parts are of many different ages. And um, I, I would disagree with the fact that they don't change in age. I, I think they can, uh, they may not. But I think as, um, as we it, uh, engage in uh, deeper and more thorough um, ther- therapy, that uh some of them grow up or they become more mature or they become more aware of of their surroundings so so there. so the reality is that all of us even if we don't have did have you know inner children we have uh we have parts of us who are playful or frightened um and uh so as we heal um and this takes years and years and years and years of deep therapeutic work, but as we heal, our parts become more a part of us. Uh, And in some cases we use the word integration. Um, And so, yeah, I have a very playful child part in me. You know, does that mean that um, Rosie is still two years old? Uh, maybe, maybe not, you know. Uh, so we do, we do have the, uh, the opportunity for our parts to become healed and more mature. They may remain the age that they were, uh, or they may grow up a bit. So I, I think it's probably different um, mm-hmm. for different people. It manifests differently in all of us.
0: That's, yeah. I mean, I have seen, I mean, especially some of the patients that I have had, even the voice change when the personality pops up. So it seems like the the voice becomes either a young voice. It's incredible the transition from one personality to the other, but there's always one dominant that actually calms the other one down. And it's (laughs) kind of hard to really figure out when one pops versus the other and who you're speaking to at a specific given moment. So in your case, Lynn, Do you transfer personalities from one to the other in one conversation or based on the situation, one specific personality will pop up to be able to put you in that environment?
1: I have a very strong um, core personality. Um, That is not true for everyone. Um, I participate in some some Facebook groups for people with DID and um, some people... Uh, are very adamant that uh, their host personality is an alter too and that they um, uh, and, and that they're all equal and that none of them uh, has a, a stronger voice than anyone else. Um, so I can't speak for those people, Dr. Dan, but I'm just relaying what they say. In my case, I have a strong uh, dominant core personality and I am no longer in active um, uh, dissociative disorder enactment. Um, I have uh, integrated many of my parts, uh, not all of them, but many of them. But when I go back to the time, even prior to knowing my diagnosis, and then once I did know my diagnosis, Um, uh, all the work that I did, uh, parts would, um, different parts would come forward and and front at different times. Um, And sometimes, but but, but I was often there um, because I had a good deal of co-consciousness. So I would be watching what was going on, but someone else would be doing it or saying it. Um the fact that I had a large amount of co-consciousness was both a blessing and a bane. Um, it was a blessing because I think then it was uh, easier for me to, um, uh, to to get to know myself, to get to know all these parts of myself, um, even if it was from a distance, because I could see it and hear it uh, most of the time. But it was a bane uh, prior to diagnosis because I really thought I was crazy. Um, I, I, I didn't know what was going on and all these different parts and voices were going on in my head. And I simply was not, uh, I, I had no clue what was happening. And I literally did not know who I was. And um, I would say for about 10 years, that sense of not knowing who I was, was really dominant. But, but, but at the same time, and this is the one, another one of the blessings of DID, is that while all of this craziness was going on, I had parts that were able to teach in the classroom. They were able to uh, lead a school administratively. They were able to go to school myself for a certificate uh, of leadership. I, so I had parts who could do these things, and then I would go home and crawl up into a bowl, into a fetal position, uh, because Rosie or Nanny uh, or the devil, I had a part named the devil, would, would be, um, Uh, just almost catatonic and non-functional. So, um, but then when the alarm clock rang and I knew I had these commitments to make, other parts would take over and go out and do that work.
0: Wow, okay. Now, out of your 20 personalities that that you had Lynn, you narrowed them to how many now as of today? Is it like just a handful or are they still a a few of them that are lingering in your co-conscious mind? (laughs)
1: Well, I thought it was, I thought I was one, okay, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but I, in, in, on January 3rd, 2022, I published my memoir. Okay. Uh, the title is Crazy, Reclaiming Life from the Shadow of Traumatic Memory. Uh, the act of writing the memoir was not triggering for me at all. In fact, it was a, um, it, it helped me make sense of my life, and it was a, uh, a really good experience, but the act of publishing it and of uh, putting myself out there in front of people and um, uh, of dealing with repercussions that come from it, of promoting it, all of that has been high level stress. I, I, I want to say a little bit traumatic, but it wasn't traumatic in any way compared to my early childhood trauma. But what it did was it uh, kind of loosened my integration and so um, I have uh, uh, one part, well, one part has, comes out often all, all the time. Um, and that's, uh, his name is Mike. And he's a, he's a teenager who carries my anger uh, in a good way. He's, a, he's good, you know, he's really helped me uh, move forward. And then I, uh, I have, a, have a part named No Name who didn't come out until towards the end of my healing process. And so he never fully did his work, and he never um, uh, uh, fully integrated. And so he's come forward now. Uh, and so we're doing some work with him. And we're going to, I'm going to name, he's, we're going to find, he's got. he's going to choose his own name, uh, because you can't go through life with no name, right? Oh, no,
0: absolutely. Uh, yes.
1: So, and then I have a, um, and then I've just met uh, two new parts that had not never revealed themselves before, and that's uh, Tears. And um, little Linda, and so that's one, two, three, four parts that I know that are still active. Uh, but I have come to understand integration a little differently than I used to f- understand it. So I, for for you know, the last twenty years, I I've, I've said, oh, I'm integrated, I'm integrated, you know, mm. and, and I and I act integrated, and I I I, I act as one. And, and I understand that as being my parts. On, uh, they, they never leave entirely because that's the way my brain was formed, but they've given over all executive control to me because they trust me and they're kind of hidden. I, you know, I don't, I, I think they impact me because, okay, the, the, the sexual one has still made me a sexual being in a healthy way. Uh, the, 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 the caring mothering one, is still in me and, and I'm a very caring and mothering person. So each part of me uh, that carried on one of those functions still helps me in that function, but they don't come out as individual parts. That's just, they are just um, my personality. You know, they're who I am. But I have, uh, what did I just say? Four, four parts that are now coming out as separate from me as different. Um, and that means we still have work to do. Um, and so I, and that's because of the stress of the, the writing of the book. And I think that's, um, I, th- I think that's probably validated in a lot of research that uh, people, that, that um, adult trauma or high level stress can either um, sort of uh, uh, undo some of the integration that we've already done, or it can actually produce new parts. Um, so that's something new that I'm really just coming to um, uh, coming to understand. Uh, but 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 again, for those of your listeners who might uh, have did. Um, the real happy ending for me is that is that I have lived in 20 years of, uh, at least almost integration and that I, and, and have been able to, to lead a really fulfilling and happy life. Uh, prior to that, uh, I was in, um, I really felt crazy and I was in constant body pain. Um, and, uh, you know, I, just the other day I was triggered and, uh, uh, and, and, and I went back into that body pain uh, that is so uh, debilitating, but um, because of all the work I've done, I I, I know the grounding techniques that I need to use uh, to, to come out of that. And I know that uh, it won't last for long, uh, you know, and, and, and I can move forward. So, uh, so there's real hope, though, for, for people who feel so much in despair that we do not want to live. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the time uh, we, are, we have suicidal ideation. Yes, and I'm, yes. I'm not, uh, I'm speaking for myself, but also from uh, so many people that I know with DID who, uh, who, who sometimes think that life w- would be better if we were dead, <laughs> you know, that the world would be better if we weren't here. And um, I, I, I want to stress that because when I speak, I am a very happy woman and I'm really well healed. And people sometimes think, oh, well, DID isn't such a big deal, you know, but it really is a big deal because there are, um, uh, you know, decades of our lives where we are, we don't know who we are. We're totally disoriented We'd rather be dead than alive. Um and, and uh, you know, I, I'm here to say it's worth hanging in there because there's life after that.
0: Now, um, for our listeners, what, what were the most traumatic experiences that you have had that actually created those different personalities or different parts of you? Um, was there like something that you mentioned originally in the beginning about uh, abuse? Was it what specific part that created who you are and why you were diagnosed with DID?
1: Well, um, so there was sexual abuse, and there was um, the. the, I'm I'm looking for the words for it because it's so hard to uh, even go there. But there was the um, uh, the the the, the selling of me, um, you know, and my body uh, as a very very small child. Um, and there was a, a, a very powerful uh, amount of control. And I ha- I really have even a hard time uh, talking about how that control was um, managed uh, in public because it's so hard to even uh, believe um, it was so um, uh, ugly. So... Um, Uh, Yeah, those are the general parameters of uh, what I experienced. I am not, in many ways, it felt like ritual abuse, but I I don't believe it was connected with any kind of, you know, organization. Uh, In in some cases, people have been uh, ritually abused by um, cults or, uh, or other groups, and I'm not aware of that. Um, but then again, it happened when I was very young. And so I may not know um, know everything. And I, I want to really make a comment around that. So, so what, we all know that memory is fluid and flexible and not always accurate, right? And when you're a very little child, that's even more so. And so how do we know that these memories that... I experience or someone else experiences are true, and unless we have actual um, confirmation, you know, from medical records or from other people who witnessed it, we really don't know that it's actually entirely true. But here is what we do know that's absolutely true, because while while the front brain explicit narrative memory changes all the time traumatic memory lodges in the body and it doesn't it's frozen it doesn't change at all until it it's brought until it eventually comes up and and is uh, brought into the conscious mind and 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 I've uh, of course I'm sure you are aware of Bessel van der Kolk and the body keeps the score. And uh, he says that once the, um, uh, the, the the traumatic memories come up uh, into the, the front brain, then they too can change, you know, but as long as they're still in the back brain in the body uh, that they don't change. And so we, I, I know what my body has told me and has experienced and uh, since a very, very, very small child on up to the present day, but the, the, the initial um, uh, trauma was happening to a very small child. Now, as those memories come forward, that small child is still trying to figure out what they mean. And some of the, the details may not be exactly accurate, but we know that, uh, that, that, the, that, that the broader Scope of what happened is true because it, it it was frozen in the body and the body doesn't lie, and uh, my body, um, I, I, I my body was filled with uh, really horrific traumatic memory and it c- continues to have some of that, but um, uh, fortunately, um, either most of it has come up or else. <laughs> Uh, my alters have really packed it down deep so that I, I, I can't experience it anymore because I don't, as I said, I was triggered just the other, just the beginning of uh, sometime last week, beginning of last week, I think. And it, I was really uh, almost catatonic for a period of about 24 hours, but, you know, it's done, it's gone. Uh, I've, I've, I've started the processing of it, uh, the body uh, released it to me. And, um, uh, and, and so, so those body memories in a way as awful as they are, are gifts, uh, because they're saying, you know, there's something here and you haven't worked on this before, or if you have, you haven't finished it and I'm coming back and letting you know that it is still really there. And then I continue to work on it, you know, with my front brain, uh, with my therapist.
0: So your therapist actually, the, in certain come or in certain session, do they go through the different uh, parts of you, different personalities, and try to talk to that personality? Absolutely.
1: Or- well, so let me tell you, for one thing, I, I ha- for, for for twenty years. I real my, my therapist is Sonia, um, and uh, I've had her since nineteen ninety one. When I when I came out of the hospital, but for twenty years I didn't see her because I was integrated. You know, we stayed in touch. But thank God for telehealth now because we're on opposite sides of the country. But since I began uh, the work of uh, publishing the memoir, I I started to see her occasionally. And now I'm really seeing her regularly again because of of all that's coming up. But so Sonia, uh, this is the way Sonia, yes, she absolutely worked with my alters. And I believe that's a... um, a really critical part of um, uh, of the work, uh, but because because the altars hold the memories. The altars um, are the ones who are experiencing the pain, or the ones who are acting out in aggression, or the ones who are acting out sexually, or the ones who are helping us, you know, in positive ways. Uh, and so, if she doesn't work with the altars; they don't get the benefit of the therapy you know and 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 so um sonia would every time a new altar would come forward she would always greet them this way she would say welcome i'm so glad you're here you're safe now um and uh uh, you know i hope you come back again and uh so she and she would always talk directly to them even when i was not uh, necessarily uh, admitting that that's who was there in the room, uh, you know, she she would recognize them and she would do that. And so so the advantage of that, and let me explain that to you a little more, is that as the altars come forward and sometimes they come forward and they're really mad or, you know, I mean, they used to get mad at her all the time. Some of them, you know, and, you know, she would say, well, let's see what, what what's this all about, you know, and, and, and we'd go back and we'd look at it. And so they, they're heard they they, they have been listened to and, and they, they, they clearly are valued. And, and so then they the all, the different orders, the amnesic barriers lower um, so that different alters get to know each other, okay, and they get to know me better. They get to know the therapist who they're starting to trust. So then they're willing to share more because they're trusting her, and then gradually, because what happens is all, all we, we begin with all these amnesic barriers, uh, which par- which makes us feel crazy, and then slowly they lower, and then there are no more barriers, and then there's the then there is the potential for integration, for becoming one, you know? So, um, so that's how that worked with her.
0: Wow, well, Lynn, unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us. And thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible story. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode. And I'm also very excited for the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season 10 of the Happiness Journey podcast filled with inspirational stories, just like the one that you listened to today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom every human starts out with an unintegrated personality. The process of normal integration takes place during childhood and it lasts a few years as it is not instant. When there's enough trauma and a lack of nurturing during this time, then the normal process of integration is interrupted. Everyone's personality is made up of states, but those suffering from dissociative disorders have barriers around their dues to early childhood traumatic events, so the personality states are isolated and never integrated. In some cases, some sufferers may deal with two to five personalities, while others can experience over 50. In extreme cases, we can see over 100. Many have dominant personality that manage of many others, but some conflict may arise. Psychotherapists dealing with DID have to be aware of the many personalities all through a session and be self-aware of the many dealings when faced with alternate personas popping up. DID is difficult to manage, but help is available. Always seek someone who specializes in this specific field. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalag, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.